Almost two hours later she emerged, looking even glummer. I didn't say anything until we got back to Liverpool Street. Are you straight back to the airport then? Yeah. No time for a quick drink? I really wanted to tap her up about Eve. No, sorry. I've really got to rush. Thanks so much, Donald, for the lift. She climbed out of the work van and marched into Liverpool Street Station without looking back. It was only after she disappeared that I noticed fresh blood on the passenger seat. Enough blood to make me realise she just had a termination. My next letter to Eve confirmed two things. One, I'd taken Tara to her job interview. Two, from now on, I'd prefer to communicate by phone. Eve sent a note back containing a single quote. If you love something, set it free. If it comes back, it's yours. If it doesn't, it never was. She signed it. All my love, Eve. X. I couldn't quite work out which one of us had set the other free, but the quote and her romantic sign-off reassured me. As soon as Eve got her life back on track, we'd give us another go. In the meantime, I felt certain that Mum could keep me abreast of all developments in Eve's case. How wrong I was. During my first year in London, I had been ringing home every couple of weeks from a phone box awash with stale piss, cock carvings and IRA slogans. I fed it a pound coin every three minutes while Mum ran through her news, i.e. who had died, followed by the weather, i.e. how much it had rained. She had poor news judgement, sometimes suddenly remembering the death of a friend or family member after my pound coins had run out and the beeping had started. Nothing made you feel more alone than finding out someone you knew well was already cold in the ground. We never seemed to get around to talking about how she was or how I was or the latest on Eve Daly. On the few occasions that my dad, Martin, answered, I hung up. He couldn't be asked to say goodbye to me before I left the country. Why would he want to chat to me on the phone? Besides, Martin was monosyllabic and opaque in the flesh. The idea that he and I could support a telephone conversation seemed laughable. Then, about two years ago, I stopped calling home altogether. The trouble started when the Met Police contacted our family GP, Dr. Harnett, seeking my medical records. Unburdened by the Hippocratic Oath, Harnett mentioned it to his golfing partner, one Martin Lynch, who assumed I'd got myself into some sort of trouble and called Golden Son Finton to find out what was going on. For once, my older brother didn't enjoy breaking sensational news. He had to tell Martin that his second son had joined the enemy, the British police force, the same force that had framed his heroes, the Birmingham Six, the Guildford Four and the Maguire Seven. After a long silence, Martin Lynch very quietly but clearly gave Finton the following instructions. Tell him never to call here again, or come home here again, as long as I breathe. I lost count of how many times I'd picked up a receiver and dialed that number you never forget, only to hang up because of what he might do to her. I hoped Mum realised that those countless silent phone calls had been from me, that I was thinking of her. So, having lost contact with Mum, I had to find another way to keep up with Eve's ongoing case and work out how our future together would pan out. Until Finton came to London, my sole source was the Irish newspapers, 
especially the one that had employed my brother at the time, the Evening Press. Credit to Finton's news nose, he sensed right away he had the inside track on the scoop of a lifetime, but even he could not have foreseen just how globally massive the Eve Daily case would become.